This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, see, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to King Jeroboam of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the very center of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, earn your bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. And then Amos answered Amaziah, I am no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be parceled out by line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. This is the word of God. For the people of God. And what a word it is. Uh, thankfully, the children are gone. I warned the 830 service. I said, oh, P.S. Uh, the scripture and the sermon today might be a little PG. Uh, and if it leads to some additional conversations after the service, that's a good thing. All right. Uh, it's funny. I wrote uh, about 99% of the sermon two months ago uh, in preparing for licensing school. They wanted us, uh, us to prepare a sermon for today. So this is from the lectionary. It was either this or the story of the Good Samaritan. And I, I feel like I've heard that a lot lately, especially at licensing school where I heard about eight different sermons <laughs> on the Good Samaritan. So Amos has a word for us this morning. And um, God did that funny thing where he's like, okay, you prep it over here, but I'm going to use this. Because it wasn't my plan to preach this Sunday, and, but I'll still, everyone else can come back from ASP, but he needed one more day to rest. And so we'll let him have it, because I think God wanted that to happen this morning, because this, this is, this is going to be for real. So, almost 3,000 years ago, the nation of Israel was ruled by the great, hey Ethan, how you doing? Was ruled by the great King Solomon. You guys know Solomon? Um... He was known for his wisdom, his wealth, and building the first temple to God. He was one of the greatest rulers of the ancient world. During his reign, he made Israel um, a world power, and great wealth flowed into the kingdom. He had such great wisdom from God that people would come from distant lands to hear him. He taught many proverbs and wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and the well-known Song of Solomon. Um, 
And while all this was great, though, Solomon also did more than any other king to break down the nation of Israel and destroy its true foundations. His biggest mistake was in disobeying God by taking many wives and marrying the daughters of foreign kings. He had roughly 700 wives and 300 concubines. It's out of control. He allowed them to build altars to fertility goddesses and other pagan gods. And ultimately, the kingdom of Israel began to crumble. Powerful factions and other enemies started to rise up. And so shortly after his death, the kingdom of Israel was split into two. The 12 tribes of Israel um, were now divided into the southern kingdom of Judah, ruled by Solomon's son, uh, Rehoboam, and the northern kingdom of Israel. They kept that name, ruled by one of Solomon's servants, Jeroboam. And over the next 150 years or so, each nation would move further and further apart from each other, ultimately forgetting their shared history and all that God had done for them. The northern kingdom of Israel would enter into a great age of prosperity. From the outside looking in, it would look amazing, like a Las Vegas or a New York kind of situation. But beneath its shiny exterior, sin and turmoil were brewing. Um, as is common, such prosperity brought with it a collapse of moral standards. Ignored were the great ideals and commandments of the Torah, like helping the poor, practicing justice, loving kindness. The rich oppressed the poor. Might was right. It was an age of corruption. Hand in hand with this degeneration of morals came increased idolatry. Pagan and Canaanite gods were once again worshipped. And I believe there may have even been a few more golden cows thrown into the mix. And we all know how God feels about those. The southern kingdom of Judah was also beginning to falter. Um, according to Amos, the people had grown to despise God's law, disobey his commands, and followed lies that had led them astray. So we have these two now kingdoms separated and in the midst of vast economic disparity in a time of great social injustice and amongst people who worshiped with their words but not with their hearts God called to our friend Amos and asked him to bear witness to the mighty love and righteous anger of their creator now prior to the sermon I'll confess I have not spent a lot of time with Amos or some of the other prophets that are in there. It's a very short book. It's one of those things. You go, oh, Amos, okay. And um, let me tell you, though, the man is a trip. Um, just an absolute trip. A man after my own heart in many ways. Um, he lets it loose. He throws it down. He doesn't hold back a single thought or word. This shepherd and this fig farmer from a little town right on the border between Judah and Israel is quite the orator if you go through and you read it. If we go back to Amos 1, he begins his address to the people, his time of prophecy, by calling out all of the other surrounding countries. It would be like if I got up here and said, look at Canada, Canada's terrible, Canada's awful, or Mexico, and have you seen what they're doing? And no, 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 no. So all of the people are getting really excited about that. And he's calling out all of these other countries. And just to read it, it almost, in my mind, I just had this idea of just like this horrible reverse Oprah Winfrey show where everyone looks under their seats to find like fire, death, and destruction. It's like you get a plague and you get a plague <laughs> going around over there. Amos is not here to play around. 
It's one of those situations where it's like, God thinks you're crazy and you're really messing up. Get your lives together. And this goes on for a while. And by the time we get to our scripture for this morning, Amos has just been taking na- uh, uh, kicking butt and taking names left and right um, for everything that's going on. As I first said, he laid into the surrounding countries, but then he starts into his own homeland. So here's Amos working his way up into Israel, talking bad about his own homeland. Oh, well, let me tell you about Judah and Judah. And so you can see all the Israelites going, yeah, I can hear that. You're even from Judah. I get what you're saying. That's terrible. Yeah, let's talk about them. They're terrible. And then Amos turns it around right on them. And he says, well, I'm going to let you have it too. Let me tell you about you. Let's open up your closet. Let's see what's going on in your house. If it were a Facebook post, it would read something like, Amos blasts his own people and you won't believe what he said next. Or after taking his own people to task, Amos slams the Israelites. Click here to see what he said about your wife. (laughs) But... In all seriousness, though, God is upset. He's hurt. These are are his people. He's bothered and angry. With just as much love and care as we would give to our own children, so too does God give to each and every one of his. And to look down from heaven and see such disparity, inequality, social injustice, corruption, immorality, not to mention those golden cows, God must have been livid. He's brought these people out of slavery, through an ocean, across a desert, had set them up with a pretty decent piece of land, and this was how they choose to live their lives? Well, God laid down some pretty heavy stuff, and Amos really didn't spare anyone. Here are some of the excerpts just from the first five chapters of Amos, and he always started out, thus saith the Lord, that idea of the vision, it's the Lord who is saying this, and these are just some excerpts. I will send fire. I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. The swift will not escape. The strong will not muster their strength. The warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The fleet-footed soldier will not get away. The horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will flee naked on that day, declares the Lord. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria. The time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks, etc., etc., etc. And there's some more stuff in there. It's great, really. It almost reads kind of sarcastically, almost like a how dare you, and oh, well, this is just great. It's good stuff. But being that God is a loving God, Remember, we often get into this idea that, oh, there's an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. No. God is a loving God. There is always a chance for redemption. In chapter 5, verse 4, Amos speaks for God saying, seek me so that you may live. And again in verse 6, seek the Lord that you may live. And verse 14 and 15, seek good and not evil that you may live Thus may the Lord God of hosts be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil, love good, and establish justice at the gate. And perhaps the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Sadly, it's not clear how many people heard those words or how many people followed them. At the beginning of chapter 7, 
Um, God gives three visions to Amos. The last one was in our reading this morning. The first vision was of locusts devouring all of the crops, but Amos prayed for God to, to spare the people, and God relented. And the second vision was for a shower of fire to devour the land, but again, Amos prayed for compassion, and God relented. The final vision, um, while still very serious, is a little bit more metaphorical in nature. God appears to Amos standing next to a wall um, holding a leveling tool, a plumb line, basically just a string uh, with a weight on the end of it to see if the wall is perpendicular, to see if it's standing correctly, just to measure it. And in a similar manner to how Jesus would question his disciples, God provides an illustration for teaching, and God says, Amos, what do you see? And Amos answers, a plumb line. God says, I have taken measure of my people Israel, and it's not good. So much so that within the next 10 years after Amos had prophesied to the people, the nation of Israel was attacked and eventually became captives of the Assyrians. The Assyrians settled into the areas and cities around Samaria. The descendants of these foreigners and the Israelites were later called the Samaritans. So does that tie back to the gospel lesson for today? Which you may recognize, story of Good Samaritan. But back to Amos. He had... Um, He'd been spending a lot of time at this point, when we got to our reading, walking through Israel, um, sharing all of this good news with everybody. And word started to get around that God was none too pleased uh, with what was going on. And as is often the case when people in charge get wind that someone is trying to alter their way of life, well, they work pretty hard to shut it down. As we heard this morning, Amaziah, a priest in the court of King Jeroboam II, decided to try and quiet old Amos down. He said, get out of here, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there. Do your prophesying there, he said. And Amos snapped his head around and said, oh, no, you didn't. Your wife will become a prostitute. Your children will die. Your land will be taken, and you will die in an unclean country. And that's where the reading ends for today. It is not, however, where... I believe God's message for us today ends. You see, anytime we look at a text, um, we're taught and told to look for that practical application um, for our world today. We're encouraged to draw parallels and discern God's will for our own lives. So church, let me ask you something this morning. Do you feel like you live in a divided country? <laughs> Politically? economically, socially, or otherwise? Have you ever witnessed or experienced any corruption from your leaders? Do you sense a great divide growing between the rich and the poor? Do you think that the best years are behind us and our future looks bleak? This morning, do you find yourself in a position to just hear the words of Amos or to go out and speak the words of Amos. Seek the Lord that you may live. Seek good and not evil. Establish justice. Is this a wake-up call or a rallying cry? Do these words require more thought or do they promote action? 
Just as God called a simple shepherd, so too does the Spirit move amongst us now. And don't think you can avoid him by coming down with a case of the justice. Have you ever had the justice? I'm just a teacher. I'm just a plumber. I'm just an accountant. I'm just too old. I'm just too busy. I'm just too tired. I'm just a kid. God has a history of calling the justice. In verse 14, Amos replied, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I was just a shepherd, and I also took care of some sycamores, some fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock, and he said to me, Go. Go. Most of the disciples were just fishermen until Jesus said, follow. Abraham was old. Moses had a speech problem. Jonah was a deserter. Jeremiah was a teenager. The list goes on. The point here is this. Across thousands of years, humanity continues to struggle with the same problems. And just like he did 3,000 years ago, God is once again holding a plumb line and looking for prophets. For people to speak his truth to the world. And if you don't want to go all the way back 3,000 years, if that's just too far for you to comprehend, let's go back maybe 50 years. In 1963, from behind the bars of a Birmingham jail, Dr. Martin Luther King wrote these words. He said, The contemporary church is so often a weak, ineffectual voice, so often the arch supporter of the status quo. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If the church of today does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authentic ring, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Now, I don't know if we're all ready to call Dr. King a prophet, but I know the truth when I hear it. Every single day, The darkness of this world seeks to overtake the light. The prophets' voices once again fall upon the ears of a broken and lonely world. God is now calling each of us to pick up our torch and carry his truth out into the world. This past week alone, the names of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling were added to an already overflowing list of black men killed by police officers. This anger led to the shooting and deaths of five other police officers and perhaps even a couple more in the days that followed. How many more people have to die before we as a church make God's presence known in this world? One month ago, 49 people were shot and killed, 49 of God's beloved creations. And following the Orlando shooting, the state of Utah's lieutenant governor, a well-known Republican, Spencer Cox, made the following statement. He said, how did you feel when you heard that 49 people had been gunned down by a self-proclaimed terrorist? That's an easy question. How did you feel? But here's a hard question. Did that feeling change when you found out the shooting was at a gay bar at 2 a.m. in the morning? If that feeling changed then we're doing something wrong. In a world filled with threats of terrorism, both foreign and domestic, 
a political climate that is dominated by lies and bigotry, where schools and churches are no longer institutions of safety, but targets for hate. In the midst of all of this, God is still calling. And if you don't believe me, my picture is out there as a new member of this church. So church, this morning, that still small voice is echoing in the deepest chambers of our hearts. So I ask you, will you answer that call to facilitate this listening? We're going to have a brief time of reflection. I've provided a couple questions to help guide our meditation. I'll ask the band to come up. We're going to do another song here together. Um, Use this time to listen, to meditate on this, to hear the voice of God and what he is calling you to do.